Well, it's great to see you guys this morning, and, and welcome to Fairdale Christian Church. So excited to share the day with you, and or a little bit of the day with you, and glad that you are here with us. I just want to, uh, before I dive into the message, i got a couple of announcements that we want you to know about. Today is, uh, we've been talking for a few weeks about having Family Fun Day. I know you guys are here at the first service, but uh, we're going to have some stuff going on, you know, with the might rain, might not, so we decided to move everything into the gym and uh, we've got inflatables, and there'll be food and all kinds of things. So I'd love for you guys to be part of that after the service uh, today. Hope that you can stick around for that and, and have a good time over there. Uh, also, another thing we've been talking about for the last several weeks is our back-to-school blitz. And this is an opportunity for us on August the 7th, which is a Sunday morning. We're going to be partnering with some other local churches and uh, serving our local schools and helping them to get ready to prepare the grounds for the first day of school. And we need volunteers and teams that would say, hey, I'm going to go out and help serve on that day. And so there is a sign-up sheet for that in the lobby. As you leave, you'll notice one of, the, one of the vertical TVs that has this logo on it. You can sign up to be part of a team and go serve, and we'd love to have you. Now that day, we, uh, we want to keep reminding you of this, that day on the August 7th, we will only have one service that day. This one at 9.30, and then at 11 o'clock, we'll, we will be serving out in the community. Now, we'll also have some jobs here. If, if you've got some mobility issues or, or something like that, we'll also have some opportunities to stay here on the campus, uh, and you can also be a part of that. So please sign up. We'd love to have you be part of that. Tonight, uh, for our students who are really excited, middle school, high schoolers are going to be having a special uh, pizza night tonight. So want to make sure that all the students are here from 6 to 9 p.m., uh, and uh, would love to have them be part of that. And, uh, and also, Celebrate Recovery is going to have a special day coming up in just a, just a very short amount of time, a fellowship evening event. And if you have been wondering about that, uh, we'd love to have you stop by the Next Steps area. There'll be some volunteers out there that can answer questions about that. But uh, if you're kind of wanting to know a little bit more about what Celebrate Recovery is, we'd love to invite you to be part of that evening. Well, we've been in this series, uh, this is the fourth week. Just taking a look back, remembering back a couple of decades. Now, I've been catching all kinds of, of crud about this because I keep saying, you know, retro and talking about like 90s movies and 90s stuff. And I've had people tell me like, now that is not retro, Brandon. That's, you know, retro is, is like 70s. I'm like, you, you got to remember that the 19, that was 30 years ago. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but you're going back. This is more than an antique. If, you know, this, it's, it's, it's been out there for a little while. But, uh, and speaking of antiques and old stuff and, and, and kind of just jogging your memory a little bit, I'm wondering, does anybody remember playing this game? Yeah. Guess who? I, I, I pulled up the commercials because I was like, man, I wanted to show a commercial from the Guess Who, and, and I couldn't, it's so, it's been around so long, I couldn't find anything that wasn't grainy and distorted, I'm like, it wouldn't work on the screen, it looked terrible, but I, I love this game, it came out in 1979, so there you go, you boomers, you get it, you know, but, so it came out in the 70s, but it really reached the height of popularity, you know, kind of in the 80s, 90s, and the whole point of the game, if you never played, you're playing against an opponent, and you're trying to, you're, they, they pick a card that has a character on it. And you're trying to guess which character it is. And the way that you guess is by asking questions like, hey, do you have a mustache? Or, you know, do you have red hair? Do you have glasses? And, you know, and then you would begin to eliminate. And so it's a process of elimination, trying to figure out, okay, who, who is this 
person. And I wanted to kind of play a little game with you guys because I love Guess Who. I used to love it as a kid. So I'm going to show you a picture of one of our staff members, and I want you to guess who you think it is. All right, so here we go. Number one, who's this? Oh, that's, that's too easy. Yeah, that's, you know, this is Phil Miller, who, by the way, is not here today. So if you want to make jokes about him, today's your opportunity to do that. All right, here, here's another one. Let's see if we can get more challenging here. Who, who do you think this is? Wrong. This is Heather Horn, early childhood. Uh, but she, she looks, it's funny, when you look at that picture, if you ever see Heather's son, you're like, oh my goodness, that's just a spitting image of Heather. All right, here's, here's another one for you. I just love the hair on this. You can tell that's like somebody went to the, got the perm. All right, who, who do you think that is? Let's see. Yeah, that's Sarah. That's Sarah. All right, uh, let's see. We got another one. We got another one. All right, see if you can guess who that is. I show, who is it? That was little John. Wasn't that sweet? All right, I, I, we, got, we got another one. Who's, who's this one? That was, too, that was way too easy. It's got that, she's got those osmus genes. They're just really dominant. You see Travis up here playing bass. That's her brother. And they, they all just kind of look alike. All right. All right. Let, let's see if we got another one here. Do we have another one? We don't? Yeah. Show, show it. Let's see it. Who do you think that is? That one is Tom Cruise, guys. But I'm, I'm really flattered. <laughs> I'm flattered that you think that uh, I look like that. Now, <laughs> the, whole, the whole point of, of Guess Who is you're trying to figure out who someone really is. And we do this. We size each other up all the time. We, we look at one another, and we often we have a tough time figuring out who we are ourselves. And we all want other people to see the best side of us. Or at least, you know, the, the best side that we can present. Before we go any further, let, let me pray for us. Lord, today we're going to be talking about, you, you know, Lord, that we're, we're going to be talking about some things in your word that remind us who we are and who you have created us to be. And Lord, my prayer today as we come before you is that I know that it is not my job to, to change hearts. I can't. I can't change people. I can't make us better people. I can't make us more Christ-like people. But Lord, I pray that today you would use me in some way that your words would come out, that we, that we would hear from you today, and that you would help me just to be a vessel. Lord, may we receive your word, open our hearts and our, our, our ears. May we be quick to listen and embrace the the righteous word of God. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. We're trying to figure out who we are. Who do we want people to, how, how do we want to present ourselves? John Ortberg, he's a Christian author and pastor. Uh, he coined the phrase perception management. And I think, well, okay, well, that's kind of like a $2 word there. But perception management, trying to manage how other people are perceiving me, that is exhausting. 
I want, I want to be able to be in control, at least a little bit. I want to control how people view me, right? Nobody wants to be unliked. We all want people to, to care, you know, to like us and think that we're good or great or cool or whatever. But why is it? Why, why, would, why would we do that? Why do we try to impress people? Why do we pretend? Do you ever pretend? Do you ever drive a nicer car than you could really actually afford? But you do it because you want people to think that you're more successful than you are. Or do you ever live vicariously through your kids uh, you brag about how they're doing uh, or maybe you exaggerate how they're doing because in truth they they are more successful than you ever thought you would be or do you know do you ever do you ever use photo filters you know, you're, you're taking the selfie or you got the picture and it's like, I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm blending or I'm highlighting or I'm get, trying to get rid of any little part of my face that I don't like or don't want other people to say because we're trying to make ourselves look more attractive, more flattering than maybe you think you actually are. Why do we do that? We, we pretend. We've all got these. Here's a throwback. You remember Cisco and Ebert? <laughs> We've all got those... Cisco and Ebert's in our lives, thumbs up or thumbs down? Like, do people like me or do they not? Well, you know, what, what, what is the, what is, what, how do they see me? And, and pretending is kind of like lying. It's lying about who we really are. Why do we do this? I think there's a lot of reasons, but one primary reason is we are convinced that we are less impressive, that our lives are less impressive than they should be. So we kind of piggyback on last week a little bit. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the fact that why, why, do, we, why do we live vicariously through our heroes? And I, I think it's because a lot of us are bored. We're kind of bored with our lives. We're bored with where we are. We're, we're not where we thought we should be. And, and, and maybe we're addicted to, to screens or whatever else. And so we're kind of living through these characters. Well, why would we pretend? Why would we try to make people view us as better than we think we are, I think it's because our lives, we feel like our lives aren't that impressive. Are you disappointed in yourself? Do you ever feel that way? Do you, do you ever feel like, I should be further down the road than I am right now? This isn't where I intended my life to end up, and why am I not, why, am, why don't I seem to get the opportunities that other people have? Why, why does it feel like everything is held back? You know, I, I should have done more. I should have accomplished more than I have so far. We've all got a few little regrets. Now, let me tell you one of my big ones. This is one of my major, like, whoa, huge, huge regret. Back, we're going back uh, over 10 years ago now. I, uh, I've, I've, I've liked to, my grandfather, great, great one of the best grandfathers you could ever have. I mean, it's awesome. And one of the things that he kind of instilled in me is like, Brandon, you, you work hard, and then you make sure that when you, you earn money that you, you are doing something with it that will help it to grow. So investing was always important, you know, and he kind of tried to teach me a little bit of that, of how you invest, how you plan for the future, those sort of things. And, uh, and so I've, I've always kind of dabbled in, in the stock market a little bit. Not, not a huge amount, but just a little bit. And uh, Megan and I, we, we didn't make a lot of money for a long time. And so it was kind of like I'd, I'd scrape a little bit here, you know, 20 bucks here, 20 bucks there, and try to, try to invest and, and see what I could do. And, and going back, way back, 
I, I had, uh, had done a, a special job. And in that special job, I got paid $1,000, which was a ton of money. You know, it is a ton of money, but it was a, really a ton of money to me at the time. And, uh, and so I'm like, I, I, want, I don't need this money. You know, I mean, I can use it, but, it's, but I want to I do something with it that's going to matter. So I want to invest it. So I'm trying to think, what should I do? What should I do? And I had this buddy that was like, he was talking about this new thing that I'd never heard of called Bitcoin. And he's like, Brandon, you've got to buy Bitcoin. You've got to buy Bitcoin. Right now, you've got to buy Bitcoin. And, and I'm like, this sounds weird. I don't get this. And I didn't, and he did. And you want to know what that $1,000 would have been worth had I done what he was trying to, <laughs> trying to convince me to do? Over $5 million. <laughs> I told Megan that one day. I said, you know, we realize that. She says, You've got to be kidding me. I said, no, no. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It's easy money. We'd have blown through $5 million, babe. Don't worry. No, no. You know, I'd sure like to try, but, you know, whatever. You just can't go back. And then, you know, it's like, so then a few years, you know, just about a year or so ago, I was like, you know, I never did invest in that Bitcoin. Maybe I should now. So I was like, I'm going to put a little bit in. Oops. <laughs> Good thing I didn't need that money, you know. Oh, boy. But, but why, why do we, you know, we have regrets and we wonder, who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? We have these identity issues. We struggle with finding ourselves and knowing who we really are. Because the, the truth for you today, and, and I, I so want you to hear this, is that in, in God's eyes, the way that he views you, you are far from being unimpressive. You are far from being unimpressive. And I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that if you will grab a hold of this truth, you'll never have to pretend again. You just just won't have to. There's no more pretending. You have a higher calling. There is greatness in you. And so I want to look at it together. This is one of the great New Testament passages about salvation and how God works so diligently to rescue us. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that God is so rich... In mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us, when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. I don't have time. That's a great passage. And I don't have time to go in depth of the whole thing. We're going to really focus in on that last verse, verse 10, that says we are God's masterpiece. 
He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. The, the word masterpiece, he's working in us. We have this temptation to view God incorrectly. I mean, and it's, it's, it's just a human problem. We see God through the lens of our experiences. That's just what we do. So depending on how you were raised, what your background was, the hurt that you have, pain, different things, that all affects the way that we view the Lord. The only way we're going to be able to properly have a proper understanding of who God is is when we look at his word. And we take God at his word, not through, not through, our, not through our bias, but who does he say that he is and what do we know about him. And, and one of the things that I think that we see incorrectly is that we, there is a tendency to believe that God is passive. That he's passively standing by and he's not really involved in our lives. Like he just sort of set everything into motion and then took a step back and said, well, let's see how this plays out. And nothing could be further from the truth. That's not true at all. God is active. He, he is engaged. He's working and we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. He's the creator. In Genesis, the Bible said says that in the beginning, God created. The first thing that we know about God is that he created the universe. Big action. And then he created mankind. And then man sinned. You know, we, we screwed up. But, but ever since that moment, he has been chasing us. And he has been initiating a relationship with us. It's very active. And in the Old Testament, God sent prophets and kings to the Israelites. And at just the right moment in time, he sent his son. We know that from John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave, he sacrificed, he went the distance to send his son. And then Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, he gave his life on the cross. He sacrificed himself. He died for us to pay for our sins, to restore us back. And then God raised him from the dead, very active, very involved. And then God brought Jesus back to heaven. And then God sent the Holy Spirit to the earth to live and to move in us. And that's hopefully where we're, we're growing in. Is I was talking to a great, great friend, RJ, that plays piano. Man, I, I love talking to RJ right before I preach because he'll always say something that's like, oh man, that was so, that, that's just so in depth. You know, it's, it's deep and you're right. And, and he said, you know, that's the thing about the Holy Spirit is all of us in life, we want a map. You know, we say, God, I wish God would send me an email or a text or send up smoke signals. Tell me what you want me to do. Like, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to know exactly? God, tell me, step one, step two, step three. Tell me what you want me to do. But the problem is, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to send you a road map. He said, I'm going to send you a counselor, a guide, the Holy Spirit. You know, the difference between a map and a guide, a map tells you where you're going to go, but a guide, you've got to have a relationship with. You've got to know who you're walking with. And that is the Holy Spirit's role in our life. He's drawing us and restoring us and moving in our lives, moving in our world. And all of this is God's work. That's all His work. And maybe the reason that you feel like your life is unimpressive is because you've been focused on your work. And you're not focused on God's work. You're not really paying attention to what is God up to in this. How is God using this? What is his plan? What, what, what is his will 
in this. We get focused on ourselves and, and what have I built? What have I done? Who have I become? And if we can shift our focus and begin to focus on his work, you're, you're not going to think that way anymore because his work is extraordinarily impressive. The word masterpiece in verse 10, we read that scripture in Ephesians 2, that we're God's masterpiece. It's a Greek word, poema. It means poem. That's, that would be a, the best translation. It's, it's, it's beautiful, a mighty, creative masterpiece. It's a poem, and God is the poet. And that word is only used in two places in, in the New Testament. In Ephesians 2, it says we're God's masterpiece. We're kind of like his poem. And then in Romans 1, verse 20, that says that ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and they have seen the sky. Right? Got it. Yep, that's true. Through everything God made, right there, that's the word poema. Everything that God made through, through his poem, that we can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So we have no excuse for not knowing God. It's one of my favorite verses. That's why when I talked about last week, you know, when people ask me, why do you believe in God? You know, one of my number one reasons, I just know. I just know. Romans 1.20 is one of those reminders, like, yeah, I mean, I, it, it just doesn't, it's just not very hard. Now, I, I, I got back this week, this, this past week, I, I pulled out of here Sunday right after church and hit the road, and that's Phil Miller. He's, that's where he's, he stayed back in Virginia, uh, but uh, we were in Myrtle Beach this past week. I was with Phil and uh, a couple other guys from church, and we were on a golf trip, and it was a great time, hot, but uh, I'm a terrible golfer, so I can blame it on the heat, you know, that, that's, why I, that's why I'm terrible. But, uh, but driving out there, if you've ever been, you know, if you've ever been out there, you've, you've been, you know, if you've seen the beach, you know, you just see the, the wave after wave after wave, and I'm, I'm watching the, you know, I'm watching the waves roll in, it's just kind of, something about that reminds me of just the power of God. And then I'm, I'm on the beach, I just kind of like grab a handful of sand, I'm, you know, kind of playing with it and looking at the little grains of sand. And you know that, that we're told that there are more stars in the in the universe than there are grains of sand on every beach and every desert in the world and i look at that and how how can that be i just the the mighty nature and the creative nature of our god and then we're driving back we're going through you know the smoky mountains and i'm i'm looking at this this you know it's just a cool landscape and i'm thinking about you know scripture says that you know god said to the, the mountain do you be lifted up and it's just the the awesome the awesome, creative, and mighty power of our God. You think of the, the beautiful things that you've seen, these marvelous places in God's poema, his handiwork, his masterpiece. Romans says that we can clearly see through that. We see from that his eternal power and his divine nature. We see those qualities through what has been created. And God wrote two poems Two places that we see that in Scripture. His two poems are creation, the, the world around us, and you. You are his masterpiece. We think of ourselves as insignificant. We, we see our lives as unimpressive. And yet God's word speaks directly to us and says, you know, think of some of the most impressive things you've ever seen in your life. God says, that's you. You are my poem. You are my masterpiece, my greatest work. 
How do we break that cycle of pretending? Well, Paul, the, the same guy that wrote the book of Ephesians, he wrote another letter to the Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he says this. He says that we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted. It's a big responsibility. Big responsibility. But we, we, we are approved by God to be entrusted with the good news, with the gospel. This is a, a big responsibility for us. God says, I'm sending you out to, with the best news that the world is ever going to hear. And our purpose, he says, is to please God, not people. Because he alone examines the motives of our hearts. And there it is. He says, you're approved by God. Make that your goal. Make that your aim. And, and let, this, let this verse speak to you a little bit. That our purpose, the focus of our life... Every motive, every intention that we have ought to be first and foremost to please the Lord, not people. How can I, how can I put a smile on God's face? How, how can I make sure and know that he is well pleased with me? And this is kind of my point. What I hope that you remember today is that could we be people who live from the approval of God, not for the approval of people. Because you cannot do both. You know, there's, it's like anything else in our world. There's, uh, there's some people that are going to love you and some people are going to hate you, no matter what you do, no matter what. So we're, we're never going to be loved by everyone anyway. There's only, there's only one person that, that we ought to be concerned with, and that's the Lord. One of my favorite authors is a, a man named John Eldridge. He's, he's written a lot of books that are all great. One of them is called Wild at Heart. It's kind of geared for young men and, you know, growing. And, you know, who does God want you to be and, and uh, those sort of things. Why, you know, how are you wired? And one of the, one of the quotes I love in the book, it's, it's, it applies to all of us, not just to men, but to all of us. He says, let people feel the weight of who you are. And let them deal with it. And as I read that quote, you know, I, 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 and I've read it in context, I know that his intention is not like, yeah, so this is who I am, so if you don't like it, too bad. That, that's not the heart behind it. The heart behind this passage is, know who you are. Know who God's made you to be. You don't have to apologize for that. And you don't have to be focused on trying to please everybody around you. This is who you are. It's... And be confident enough to let people see that and, and deal with that. That's who that person is. That's who God's made them be. You can't please everyone, and, and I don't think you should try. Scripture says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we live in such a politically charged environment. Maybe it's always been like this. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's always been this way and nothing new's under the sun. But it feels really gross to me. It feels really nasty. And there, there, it seems like there's, there's not much of anything that people can find common ground on today. And there's a lot of angry people. I just see a lot of that, just angry, just a lot of anger. And especially this week, I, I know there are a lot of angry people following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. You know, one thing I learned a long time ago is that anger is a secondary emotion. It's true. We, we think, well, I'm just angry. because, But anger, anger comes out, it is a response to either fear or pain. When we're afraid or we hurt, we, can get, we get angry. 
And whenever I see somebody that's like a super, you know, like super miserable person, they're just angry. You know, you meet those people that just nothing, nothing makes them, nothing makes them happy. And I always ask myself, wonder what hurt them so bad or wonder what they're so afraid of. You know, why, why is that coming out like that? The world is a painful and terrifying place. It's no wonder there's so much anger, right? What that, what that reveals about many of us is that we still haven't learned this principle, that we live from the approval of God, not for the approval of people, that God created you on purpose. Now, if we're going to be those kinds of people, we, we have to see ourselves as God sees us, and we have to see other people the way that God sees them. That means that we're not against each other. It's not you versus me. And the Bible is clear about that. It says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. Our struggle, it's, it's a spiritual struggle. That should mean that I care about you. Even if we don't agree. That we, we still care about one another and and i i hear a lot of arguing and a lot of fighting is any of that going to make a difference because here's what i know and what i see consistently with jesus every single time he wasn't focused on winning arguments he served jesus didn't just tell people that god loved them he showed them that god loves them and this is a unique moment in history. Very unique. I hope that you recognize the gravity of this. And we have to be aware of it. Uh, I, I recognize that this is very delicate and very sensitive for many, many people. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare try to minimize that. I also understand that there's a lot of fear and pain surrounding the issue of women's rights. And abortion, that, and that may and usually does come out as anger. Because there's fear or there's pain. But it's also important that we talk about it in a healthy way. We have to. And, and most importantly, and I hope you hear me on this, everybody needs to hear this. It is so important that we desperately, desperately seek wisdom from God before we go shooting from the hip. Because when we do that, and we start you know, kind of letting our opinions get in there and our biases, uh, we, we will say things, not meaning to, but we will say things that rip open wounds for people. Scripture says that we have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We have to be quick to listen. There's two things that I really want to say today, and I really hope that you will hear my heart on this, that my heart and, and soul comes out a little bit. There's, there's two things that I, I just want to say quickly, is basically, where are we, and how do we respond? So let me start with where we are now. I, what I want to do in the little bit of time I've got is I want to acknowledge both sides. Because in this room, we have two very distinct groups of people. And for many of us, for some of us, we have been praying that one day the lives of the unborn would be protected. 
And I know that there are some in this room that don't understand why. Why, why, would, you, why would you pray like that? Why would you, why are you, why would you celebrate that? And I, I also recognize that there are those in the room that, that, that right now the fear that they have, the only things that, that they are thinking about is abuse. Uh, what, about, what about dangerous situations, women's lives being at risk, you know, back alley things happening and, 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 and horrible, horrible things, you know, can feel like, okay, women's rights are being stripped away and that feels wrong. And there's two groups. I think about how God operates in a paradox. How can it be that there are two schools of thought and yet God is working in both? How, how, does, that, how does that work? Jesus said these words in John 15, verse 13. He said, there is no greater love. If you're going to get to the top of the list, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And what he's literally saying there, this is the height of humanity. Like, this is what separates you from every other created being. This is, you are my poem. I have, you have the ability to sense things and to feel things and to do things and to, to rise to occasions and my spirit is working in you. This is what, this is what separates you. He says, and this is, this is it, is that you have the capacity to feel and to love and great love understands the concept of sacrifice. The greatest love is the type that says, I would die for you. That's one reason we honor our veterans, because they love their families. They love their country enough to say, I would die for you. That's the way I feel about my family. I would die for them. I would give my life for them in a heartbeat because I love them. And that's what Jesus did for you. That's what John 3.16 tells us. God so loved the world, he sacrificed his son. And the reason, so to acknowledge one group, the reason that some of us have been praying for the rights of the unborn is because Abortion is the reverse to that. Instead of saying, I'll die for you, abortion says, you die for me. It's the opposite of what Jesus said love is. Now, I am not naive enough to think that we can legislate morality. Because we can't. And I am not naive enough to believe that just because abortions may be more difficult to get, that, oh, that solves the problem. There'll be no more abortions. Now everything's happy, clappy, and everybody goes on. It's not true at all. It just opens up many, 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 many more questions. And many of the things that we as a culture and as a people, and especially as a people of God, that we have to talk about, and we've got to find solutions. And I have always felt that the biggest issue that we face isn't whether or not abortion is legal, but the fact that there are women who feel that they have no other option. That that's the issue. And I, I know and I recognize, and please hear me on this, I know that there are a lot of scared women today because they feel like we've, that, they, that they're being neglected, that they're being overlooked, that they're going to be left in positions with no hope. So that leads me to the second thing that I want to say today, and please hear me on this. How do we, as the people of God, how do we respond to that? This is a unique moment. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah hears God speaking, and he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
who will go for us? And I said, it's like he raised his hand and said, here I am, Lord, send me. I think that's one of the most powerful verses in Scripture. The purpose, the purpose of the church is to be the hands and feet of Christ. We always ask, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? That's a great question because that's what we're called to do. That is the, that's what we're here for. If, we, if Jesus came to show us what God's love is like, that means that's, that's our job too. How would Jesus have us to respond? And I'm going to tell you, it is, it is not about trying to win arguments. That's not it. It's not about gloating. Kind of like, oh, we got one. It's not, it's not that. It is about stepping up to serve. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many and to serve. That means that, means that some of us, it's time for us to look into and start, start pursuing being a foster parent. For some of us, it means it's time to get serious about looking into what does adoption look like for our family so that we can, that we can take in these children that have you know, been, been they're, they're neglected for whatever the reason. It doesn't really matter, but that's my role is to, you know, the Scripture calls me to that, to look after the orphans. For some of us, that means that we need to be ready, and I mean really ready, to open up our home and be willing to provide for a woman with a crisis pregnancy that feels like there is nowhere to go and I don't know what I'm going to do. It means that we need to be ready to financially support organizations that are standing in the gap for women and helping them to know that they're cared for and that they won't be forgotten. We have people in this church that are on staff at those organizations right now that they do unbelievable work. I went to a, I went to a dinner just a, a few months ago and they were, some of the women that were telling stories about how they were cared for and how they were helped to get through a situation as they had an unexpected crisis pregnancy and chose life and, and, and how much joy has come as a result of that. But, but those people standing in the gap, were they, they were integral in that. It means that we've got to be serious about providing for the most vulnerable because, listen, we cannot say that life is sacred in the womb and not, and then, but also not think or not care about life outside the womb. We've got to care about both. This is a time for God's people to pray and to say, here we are, Lord. Send us. This is not a time to gloat. This is not a time to, well, you know, this is a time to go before God and say, send us out. How can we serve? How can we stand in the gap? How can we be the hands and feet of Jesus in this moment and make a difference in someone's life so that they understand that we care about them just as much as we care about their unborn child? May we be a people who love the women who are terrified today just as much as we love the life growing inside them. And we must be willing to live out John 15, 13, that we, that we too understand that great love requires sacrifice requires sacrifice from us and we're ready to give ourselves to give of ourselves to show love and to provide support to those in need because that is what jesus commanded us to be that's who he's called you don't have to guess who you are that's who we're called to be so let me pray lord today we come before you and i pray that we would come before you 
with a spirit of humility that we would be, as your word commands us, that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak. Help us to hear the stories. Help us to love the people. And Father, most of all, help us to be the servants that you've called us to be. That we would, we would see the, the, the woman or the person that has been overlooked and neglected. It feels like they, their life is over and there's no hope. We know as we've sung all morning that hope is found in you. You are the cornerstone. God, help us to be a people who not only sing about that on Sunday morning, but that we live it through the week. Make us your vessels. Father, use us. We thank you, Lord, for loving us first and for adopting us into your family and redeeming us when we were beyond broken. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need somebody to talk to today, I invite you to stop by the Next Steps area as you leave. Thanks so much for being here, guys. God bless you, and excited to see you next, next week.